Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Well, we have lots of interesting topics to cover this morning. Uh, For example, there was a a curious development in the case of Leah Thomas, the uh, star transgender female swimmer for the University of Pennsylvania, who has become a dominant force in women's freestyle swimming. And we'll also want to talk about a recent case from from big-time college football, a kid with who really has tremendous grit. And I'll, I'll get into those topics later on in the show. But first up, in light of the tragic death of the high school hockey player Teddy Balkin, I want to dig a little deeper into why protective neck guards are not mandatory in youth and high school ice hockey. Specifically, why USA Hockey has been reluctant to make them mandatory. And this is a controversy that has been around for a number of years. And I do think the time has finally come to really dig into it. And as always, I, I, I want your calls, your thoughts, your opinions. They're all welcome at 877-337-6666. I'm, I'm eager to hear from you about net guards. Now, as many of you have heard... There was a change.org petition started last week, which is asking that protective neck guards become mandatory in amateur ice hockey. This movement was started by one of Teddy's close friends and hockey buddies, a youngster named Sam Brand, who has done a superb job in getting people to sign this petition. The last I had heard, the number of signatures was well over 70,000, and that's probably gone up in the last few days. Now, let me just say up front that I have no idea whether Teddy was wearing a neck guard or not. And for those of you not all that familiar with the uh, protective equipment in ice hockey, a neck guard is a strip of tough, durable cloth, sometimes they're even made of nylon or Kevlar, that goes around the player's neck with the simple purpose of protecting them from getting cut by a skate or a stick. I mean, there are even some neck guard models that are really just like a, an extension of one's uh, undershirt. So it's like uh, like wearing a turtleneck. And again, it's all meant to protect one's, one's very sensitive neck. But there has been debate for some time as to whether neck guards really are effective in preventing injury. There is really no universal rule about wearing them. And as a result, well, it's become sort of a, a hodgepodge of rules and mandates as to whether hockey players have to wear them. It really depends on what league 
uh, the kid is playing in, or for that matter, even what country they play in. For example, uh, while net, net guards are not necessarily mandatory in the United States, they are mandatory at the amateur level in Canada and in Sweden. Now, by the way, I should also point out that all hockey goalies do wear net guards, since they're always in harm's way regarding sticks and pucks and skates uh, when they're playing in front of the net. But in some states in high school hockey, you do have to wear a net guard. So if, if a youngster takes the ice during a high school game and a ref sees that you aren't wearing one, well, you'll be instructed to go off the ice and to put one on if you want to play. Okay, but in many leagues, including USA Hockey, which oversees youth hockey in this country from the time a kid starts as a mite and goes right up to the time they're a midget or bantam, well, they are not mandatory. They are recommended, but not mandatory. Now, let me give you a real example of how complicated all this is. In Connecticut, the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference, the, the CIAC, that's the governing body of high school sports in that state. And it mandates that all high school players in their conference, and that's the key phrase here, all hockey players in their conference wear net guards. And again, that's the CIAC oversees all the public schools there. But curiously, for private schools in Connecticut, which are not part of the CIAC, that net guard rule does not apply. And St. Luke's, where Teddy Balkin played, is part of the private school league. Therefore, they're not, they're not uh, governed by the CIAC in terms of their net guard mandate. USA Hockey, which is the governing body, as I mentioned, for all amateur and youth ice hockey, also does not make it mandatory. It merely recommends that kids wear them. And that's the same with the NCAA and college hockey. So, in short, there really is no universal rule about net guards. And the key issue usually boils down to whether protective net guards really do perform and work in preventing catastrophic injury. And that is, experts argue that the odds of a player being cut by a skate in their neck is exceedingly rare. Okay, all right. But in a New York Times article the other day, uh, a writer named David Andriata, I thought, did a fine job in laying all this out. In the Times article, Dr. Michael Stewart, the chief medical and safety officer for USA Hockey, was interviewed about this controversy. And apparently Stewart, he wrote, he helped write the organization's policy on neck protection. And ironically, Dr. Stewart witnessed his own son sustain a similar injury when the youngster was a defenseman at Colorado College well over 20 years ago. Now, the boy survived being cut in his neck, but he needed something like 22 stitches to close the wound. So, understandably, Dr. Stewart, well, he strongly recommends that players wear neck guards. And you get the sense from his comments that he feels that since USA Hockey recommends that all players wear them, well, that should be good enough. But again, a recommendation is not the same as making it mandatory. So Dr. Stewart, he's sort of walking a fine line on all this. And remember, he almost lost his son to a neck injury. But he also notes that the research on neck guards suggests that they work only when there are lesser hits of force to one's neck being hit by a skate. But when you have a stronger hit to the neck by a skate, the neck guards don't seem to help all that much. And that is, the, the skate will in fact cut one's neck seriously. 
Now, a few years ago, in Guelph, Ontario, a 16-year-old player uh, escaped serious injury after another player's skate hit her in her neck. She was wearing a neck guard. And to this day, that woman, that girl, she feels strongly that it helped save her life in a high school game. But, of course, there have been other players like Teddy Balkin who haven't been so lucky. And back, back in the 1970s, I recall a high school hockey player in Boston uh, was killed on the ice due to a skate hitting his neck. So, adding into all this else, in my observations, if you talk with most ice hockey players, you get the sense that they will tell you they do not wear neck guards unless they have to. They find them to be uncomfortable, itchy, and at times can actually restrict, restrict their head movement. Okay, I get all that. But to me, it's sort of like, <laughs> it's sort of like the first time uh, you had to put on a protective cup when you played baseball. When you're a kid, I mean, look, it, wearing a cup is uncomfortable. It makes it difficult to run, uh, to be sure. And, but anyone who has ever been hit by a baseball in their groin, well, they know that protective cup is a lifesaver. Now, is wearing a cup mandatory? No, I don't think so. But that being said, I just think you, you'd be hard-pressed to find any infielder, catcher, or pitcher who doesn't wear one. It's just too much of a risk not to do that. And also from the world of baseball, how many ballplayers would feel comfortable batting in a game not wearing a protective helmet? Now, there was a time, of course, that many years ago when batters didn't wear helmets when they went to the plate. But these days, can you imagine any hitter not wearing one? And by the way, batting helmets were made mandatory by Major League Baseball in 1971. Now look, the bottom line here is I'm not a hockey player. But it seems to me that this is a rule that should have put into place a long, long time ago and not just be recommended. I mean, it's just like when the NHL finally mandated that players needed to wear helmets on the ice. I mean, you look at the old-time photos from several decades ago and, and movies of pro hockey players, and you see them skating full speed without wearing a helmet. It just makes you wonder why they didn't. And yes, of course, there's no guarantee that wearing a neck guard would have prevented uh, Teddy Balkin's death. But why not do what we can to add some measure of safety to our children? 877-337-6666. I want to get your thoughts about this. I know there are a lot of hockey players out there, a lot of sports parents who have kids who play hockey. You may be on the way right now to a hockey game. Uh, but I'm curious about what you look at when you think about, should I have my child wear a neck guard or I'll take that risk, or to have him or her take that risk. Now, as you may have heard, there's been a real run in the last week on parents buying neck guards. But as Dr. Clark of USA Hockey says, there is limited research on this topic. And it says, well, limited research there is, that such injuries are a, very rare, and B, when a kid does suffer a cut from a blade, they don't often die. <laughs> and even more so, as I mentioned earlier, the evidence that neck guards offer a complete and full protection is not necessarily supported by the data. All right, let's, let's get into this. I want to get, hear what your thoughts about this, because uh, it's obviously something that is uh, very much in the news. Uh, 877-337-6666, that's our number. When I, let me take a time out when I return. We'll continue talking about this, and of course, I look forward to hearing from you as well. Stay with me. We're talking this morning about protective neck guards in, in youth and amateur hockey. And, and from my perspective, as you heard me said, I, I know that most players don't like wearing them. 
But on the off chance they could possibly save a, a player's life, I, I really don't see the downside. And I'm, I'm trying to get your calls and thoughts at 877-337-6666. You know, to me, it's just too rare and too fluky as an accident to worry about it. Yeah, well, as a parent of a hockey player, would you caution your kid to wear one in a youth travel league? These are what we're talking about. And I think this is another point which I think is fair to make. And that is when, when you have kids at the youth level, when they are, let's be honest, less skilled uh, on the ice uh, in terms of their talents, I, I'm talking about kids at the might and squirt level, peewees, that kind of stuff, right through the high school ranks, because they are less skilled. The truth is they tend to, to fall down more often. And when you're an opposing player is skating fast, uh, they often have less control in terms of stopping quickly. And this is all part of the whole concern here about net guards. I mean, to me, that's a real concern as to why all high school players and younger kids should be mandated to wear net guards. Because there's just more of a tendency for the younger kids to, to fall down more and to be more vulnerable to other skaters. Okay, let's get some calls about this. Let's go to, um, let's go to our friend Tony up in Brewster. Tony, good morning. You're first up on the fan this morning. And, Tony, I know, of course, that your son, Chris, was an outstanding hockey goalie. T tell me your thoughts about all this. Well, Rick, needless to say, and you know from your own experiences, as a parent of a goalie, my heart was in my mouth every time there was a scrum around the neck and there was Chris lying prone on the ice with four or five guys banging away at sticks. And uh, the fact that you even have to question the fact that neck guards are mandatory is ridiculous. Uh, we had not only a neck guard on Chris, but we also had one of those shields hanging off his yeah. mask to mm -hmm. protect slap shots, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I'm sitting here just shaking my head. It's so sad that that poor kid had to lose his life because of the uh, situation and um just as a hockey parent or a former hockey parent, again, I'm saying that uh, this is something that should be mandatory without even question. You know, Tony, it, it, it's uh, again, I'm glad you called because your son Chris was an outstanding goalie in high school in the travel leagues, uh, really top notch. And as you just, you know, voiced, you said, you know, your heart was in your throat whenever there was a scrum in front of the net because you just don't know when the kids are there and, and, and uh, you know, the goalie is down on the ice. Uh, there are sticks. There are skates. Uh, and, yeah, goalies do wear a lot of gear, obviously, to protect them, including the neck guard, including the, the, uh, the plastic shield. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's I don't – I mean, <laughs> for all the money that costs to, to spend on, on a kid's <laughs> hockey equipment, you would think there are a few bucks more for a, for a neck guard. It's, it's worth the effort. And if the kid says – I don't want to wear this. It's not mandatory. It sort of like falls upon the parent to say, well, you know, um, you have to wear a seatbelt when you're driving a car. You may not like wearing it, but that's just it's going to protect your life potentially. I, it's, it's hard for me to see why this more parents don't see this. Um, I don't know. Tony, thank, thank you. Good to hear from you. Give my best to Chris. Likewise. Uh, let's, Give my best to John, okay? I will. Th thank you very much. Again, uh, I, I understand and I hear the, the, the language and the research that's coming from USA Hockey, and they say there isn't much research about this. It's all anecdotal based upon you know, accidents over the years. Uh, very few are fatal, but obviously people do get injured, and they do get cut, and it's, uh, it's serious stuff because the neck is exposed. But the question is, why, why is even the discussion about this, and why do certain states and certain high school leagues do make it mandatory? but not, not at a USA hockey level. 
Let's move on. Let's go to uh, let's go to uh, Jack Smithland over in Fairlawn. Jack, good morning. Now I know you're familiar with ice hockey. Tell tell me your thoughts about this. Well, Rick, you know, as a as a phys ed teacher, a coach, and all of that stuff, you know, one of the first things that we're actually taught is to prevent injuries. You know, not to wait for them to happen and then treat them. You know, you, you just got done saying. And I'm not contradicting you, believe me, but you just got done saying that there's no research done. Well, you know what? The research was just established. <laughs> if you get hit in the neck, you could die if you don't have a brace on, you know. Yeah. And the point is, is that this is something that should awaken every single parent out there. And you know what? I hear so many people say to me, and I have a couple kids that I hit with that are baseball players that are also hockey players, youth kids, and they don't wear them. And I had, a, you know, I had it out with one of my very good friends, uh, you know, one of my players' dads, who's a very good friend last week, you know, a little bit about how could you allow, this is not the kid's decision, this is your decision, you're the parent, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past, kids don't think, and, we, and, and we've witnessed that many, many, many times, they're not, they don't have the ability to say what's the best thing for me other than what's comfortable right now. And you know what? They want to play. They want to be, be great and all of that. But you know what? It, it's, it, it, it doesn't take away the fact that it can end very quickly because of an accident. Yep. You know, we, as a coach, and you've coached your whole life, you know, the first thing is when an injury happens, of course, you always, you always treat it as if it's the worst it can be. All right. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, and, and probably the foremost, the first thing is prevent the injuries. And wearing safety gear prevents injuries, and it could prevent a death. And you know what? I read a little bit. In fact, I went online yesterday, and I looked up hockey equipment. I went to seven different sites, and only one had a neck brace on it, a neck, uh, a neck, neck guard. Yeah. Every other one had the shoulder pads and knee pads. I even went and Googled just for the heck of it, you know, for youth kids how to put on hockey equipment. Not one of the one of the videos showed putting on a neck brace, a neck guard. And you know what? It's just, it just appalls me the fact that, one, our hockey association, our United States Youth Hockey Association, does not make it mandatory. And for them to not even make a statement about this or, you know, I, I don't know, I didn't do the research that you did, Rick. Um, you're much better at that than I am. But you know what? It, it, it's appalling to me that we don't do everything in our power to protect our kids. I, I don't get it. I just I, don't get it. Jack, the, your, your research is good, and, and it does make you wonder that uh, with all the various websites you checked, and they say, well, this is what you have to wear in terms of shoulder pads and tackle and so on and so forth, but where's the neck guard? And, and uh, you know, it, you know, doc, the doctor from USA Hockey who almost lost his son from a similar injury, he's sort of saying, well, it should sort of be enough that if USA Hockey says it's strongly recommended, well, why not make it mandatory? What, 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 what is going on? What is the problem with being super overly cautious here? And he had said in the little research they've performed, and I give them credit, they're the ones who are doing the research, they're saying it doesn't seem to be enough evidence out there that neck guards are A, uh, that helpful in preventing serious injury, and B, it doesn't happen very often anyhow. So what's the big deal? Well, I'm thinking like, well, 
so come on now. I mean, so while the kids say that it's uncomfortable to wear and they, they're scratchy and itchy, so what? I mean, come on. Sometimes you just have to be, as you say, the, the, the grown-up and say, you're going to wear the neck guard. I mean, as you get older and you go on maybe to college or, or pro hockey, you can make your own choice. By that point, you're a grown-up. But at this point, as your parent or as your coach, I would feel better if you wore the neck guard. And understanding full well it may, it may still be a catastrophic injury on the ice, Jack, but it may not. At least we're doing something the best we can to at least try and prevent that. I, I, I mean, it just makes you sit there. It's, it's a head-scratcher as to why USA Hockey, which is such a great organization, and they do tend to be on the, on the cutting edge, no pun intended, uh, of really doing good things with our kids. I don't understand why they don't, they don't just say it's mandatory. Jack, have you ever encountered anything like this before? No. I mean, you know, I, we protect our whole bodies from things that will injure us but not kill us. But the one thing that we can protect that will possibly kill us, we don't protect. Yeah. Uh, it, it, do, it doesn't make any – it doesn't really make any sense to me at all. Not at yeah. all. I, I so, I mean, you know what? I, I'd like to hear a lot of the callers. And, you know, I yeah. hope Rob calls in. I, 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 like yeah, Dr. A... Dr. Rob, I'd like to hear what he has to say. <laughs> I hear you. And in fact, I'll go to him next. Jack, as always, my thanks. Uh, we're taking calls about whether or not protective neck guards should be, in fact, made mandatory – uh, at the youth level, uh, as it is in certain high school leagues, but not in the USA Hockey. 877-337-6666. And let's go to Dr. Rob. Uh, you're next. Rob, good morning. You're next up on the fan. I, I love it. Jack, I love you, man. And, and thanks for <laughs> throwing me out there. And, Rick, is, uh, listen, I, we talked about this last week when my, a friend of mine uh, went to school with, with, the, with the parent, uh, went to college. And when she told me this story, I had heard only from her first, and then I – you know, sent it over to you, and you had already heard the story. Devastation over there. Um, I, I ne- she never did tell me, because how distraught they were, whether the young man was wearing a neck. Or probably not, though. Here's my thoughts on this. Number one, Jack made a great, great points on phys ed. We learn in physical education. Uh, you, first thing you learn about it is anatomy and physiology. You learn about injuries. You learn about how to prevent injuries. You learn about how to teach kids how to play sports. That's, yeah. that's, what, we, that's what we went to school for. To, and, and part of the training is learning about the body and learning about preventive of injuries. Makes no sense to me. Baseball players, you, you know, uh, you see the batters now. Now the helmets have changed. Like you said, this is your sport. They now the batting helmets, you know, basically cover your face. They have extensions, and you see the batters all now wearing shin guards. Even when they're on the base path, elbow guards, they're wearing stuff, and that's in baseball, hockey. I played youth hockey. I played high school, and I played in the adult league for many years as a goalie. And then your first caller made a great point that we had a, a fiberglass, there's a fiberglass extension that's t- attached with wire to the, to the mask. So when deflections and sticks can come up in the area, you're protected around that neck. You also do wear a neck guard. Yep. It makes it no sense to me. Now think about this also, Rick. Back in the day, you were talking about helmets. I mean, the Russians, I remember the first ones in the 70s when they came over to play the U.S. I think Bobby Russo for the Rangers back in the 70s, early 70s, was wearing a, wearing a helmet. They had these little helmets that they, that they were made fun of. I still, to this day, don't understand why the professionals even, I'll just throw that out, they don't wear a full mask or a cage. How many times do you see sticks going up in, uh, under that like uh, fiberglass protection over the eyes where you guys getting nicked? Gloves. 
Hockey gloves, Rick, as you know, I mean, they, they've been around since, I guess, the 30s and 40s in, in, in the sport. They're there to prevent cuts. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a foam all over, the, over the fingertips. So guys that would fall down so skates wouldn't be driven over by a player and, and cut their fingers off. It makes <laughs> absolutely zero sense. And in all sports, like, especially in the baseball, you mentioned the cup. I mean, the thought of wearing a cup, Rick, and, and, and as a goalie, I mean, with, with all the little deflections in there, or as a catcher. And think of the, the umpires now, um, to this day. Even umpires, they wear like a hockey goalie mask. Yes. But baseball catches, what do they wear, like a little face guard? Jacques Plante. I mean, can you, Rick, he, he, <laughs> well, he, he's the first guy invented. Can you ima- I can't imagine well, back can in you, the days, in the you, 40s, they didn't even, 50s, they didn't even wear masks. Now, the game, of course, has changed uh, with ice hockey. The, the players have obviously gotten bigger and stronger and faster uh, over the years, more physical contact. So you would think to be even more of, of, a, uh, of a premium on more protective equipment. I mean, I can still re- recall seeing, uh, watching uh, Craig McTavish uh, being the last uh, NHL player not to well, wear that, a right. helmet. Right, back in with the Rangers when he was in 94. I mean, it, 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 it really, listen, getting back to the youth thing, and I'll just finish with this. Everything we do in youth sports, the first thing that should be doing is instruction, teaching, kids at the very early ages safety hit like in football not to lead when your head where you can cause you know neck injuries okay any the first important the first thing in all sports at the very young youth level should be about safety and teaching skills and and the concepts of playing games properly then you go on to obviously adding equipment and and it makes zero sense. i think sadly rick because of this injury and because of this death, now it's going to become mandatory. It always takes a tragedy to bring on, you know, a situation yeah, like I, this. I think you and Jack uh, really nailed this one. Uh, the fact is that if you if you are uh, an educator, particularly in the world of physical education, coaching, whatever, coaching as well. Know, I mean, the, the first thing you want to do is teach safety to to the young athletes, and you know, wearing the right equipment, uh, having the right equipment, making sure it's worn the right way. I mean, this is, as you said, this is the first day of class kind of stuff. It, yeah. it makes it makes zero sense. And I think on the kit, like, again, I have to repeat myself, but on the on the teaching level, at the very young youth level of, of every sport, the most important thing is teaching the proper way to participate, and really that comes down to safety. Because you don't want these young kids getting hurt, you know, and and makes no sense. Take care of yourself there, Jack. Thanks, Rob. You bet. And, and, you know, I I think just to underscore his his point and Jack's point, yeah, I mean, safety is for every sports parent and for every coach, it's a top priority. So if there is any equipment, uh, and we know equipment gets improved all the time, this is where you, you start. This is where you, te- if your youngster wants to play that sport, you explain to him this is what you need to wear and how to wear it, and you, it's not going to be something which is optional. And again, neck guards apparently are optional. They're recommended by USA Hockey, but not they're not mandatory. And I'm thinking, why wouldn't you do it? And again, I go back to the point I made a few minutes ago, particularly at the youth level where kids are still developing their skills and aren't all that gifted on the ice, and they fall down a lot. And, and uh, you know, kids who are on skates aren't good at stopping uh, on a dime. Uh, this is where a lot of this, this activity tends to take place, and you're just hoping and pray that your kid does, you know, have the, the right equipment, the right 
neck guards on and or the helmet or, or the shin guards, uh, the gloves to prevent injury. I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh, it's just sort of, a, as I said, it's sort of a head scratcher to me and I guess to a lot of people as well. So let me, let me take a, a, a pause here. Uh, obviously, I want to continue talking about this to see if, uh, if I'm missing something. Uh, there's also a part of this that maybe it says, well, maybe in the, the world of ice hockey, there's something about, I don't know, being, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, being macho about this, that not wearing a neck guard somehow is a way of saying to the world, I'm tougher than this. I, I, can, I can sort of defy the odds. I, I'm, I'm, I don't need to be protected there. I, I don't understand this. But again, I'm curious to get another perspective to see if people think that it's okay just to say it's recommended, but certainly not necessary. 877-337-6666. Back here on the Sports Edge, uh, just a reminder, you can always find me at uh, AskCoachWolf.com. Uh, a lot of resources as well regarding sports parenting and sports psychology. Obviously, they're all very much interrelated. You can also follow me on Twitter at AskCoachWolf uh, as well. Right now, I, I'm, we're talking about this controversy regarding whether or not hockey players uh, should be wearing uh, neck guards. Uh, just to recap, because I think this is important from earlier uh, in the show, uh, you know, there was Michael, Dr. Michael Stewart, who is the uh, medical uh, doctor or director of USA Hockey. Um, USA Hockey is the governing body from all youth hockey in this country. Um, and, and he has said, even though he all, his own son was cut seriously uh, by a, a skate while he was playing in college, uh, Dr. Stewart says, look, the fact is the research is very scant, but what research we do have suggests that the kids being hit uh, in the neck by an opposing player's skate, uh, it's, it's, it's very rare. Uh, and when things do happen, uh, usually they are not fatal. Uh, they are obviously serious injuries, but the fact of the matter is, uh, he says, in effect, that it's the fact that we're saying it is strongly recommended that kids wear neck guards. Well, okay, he thinks that's enough because it is USA Hockey saying this. The question is, why not make it mandatory, as it is in, in uh, many high school uh, leagues around the country? It's just kind of like a conundrum that we can't seem to figure out why we can't take the next step forward. And clearly we've heard that, you know, if you're, if you're an educator, if you're a coach, the first thing you want to tell your kids uh, is about safety and how to wear the equipment the right way and make sure they understand how important this is. And a neck guard, I mean, would think would be one of the things they would definitely want to spend some time about. All right, eight eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let's go to uh, let's go to Mark in New Providence. Mark, uh, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. Thanks. I love the show. Thank you. Um, you know, I just want to put things in perspective. Uh, I'm 62 years old, and I played club hockey in Kings Park, New York, 50 years ago. Okay. At a time where we had the cup and we had the helmet, but we had no eye protection. It didn't exist that time. Yep. My ice time was 12 midnight on a Wednesday night. I had a breakaway one time. I'm coming in on the goalie, and I got tripped from behind. A stick mm -hmm. came up and hit me in the head, and I'm thinking I have a penalty shot, and the next thing I know, I can't see. That stick cut my eyelid in half. Luckily, it did not touch my eyeball. I still have my vision. Mm -hmm. but my hot playing days were over, and I think it's a pretty much a no-brainer. You know, I mean, they ultimately required face protection, head protection, cages, masks, and, uh, you know, I think that we need to protect our kids. Um, the other interesting byproduct of that story is that uh, I'm wondering if you know the name of the first professional athlete who really popularized eye protection back in the day, back then, because it didn't uh, exist. No, in ice hockey, no, I do not. 
Yeah, it wasn't ice hockey. It was a different sport. It was in basketball. It was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, sure. With the, with the first of person, right. And then after that, we started having a, you know, a, a feeling that maybe this is an important issue. And it, I, I don't know when it crept, crept, crept into hockey, but I think neck protection now is just as important moving forward. Well, Jabbar, of course, uh, as you said, he popularized wearing the protective eyeglasses because at his height, he was always getting poked in the eye uh, by opposing players because they were they weren't as tall as he was and they were reaching up to guard him, whatever, and, and they'd poke his poke their fingers in his eyes accidentally. It was so yeah. He he said, "I got to do something about this because I, I don't want to lose my sight." Mark, this yeah. is you, you. You've lived this, obviously. You know what we're talking about. Uh, I mean, as you said, by the grace of God, you could have lost your eyesight. Absolutely. I, I, it's, I don't, again, there's something about perhaps, and I'm just trying, to, I'm being vague and, and, and definitely stretching and reaching here, but there's something about the culture of ice hockey which makes it feel like somehow you got to be, we, we, we embrace the fact that it's a tough sport and uh, it, it's just something that we're going to be kind of slow to bring in new equipment. But obviously now, I mean, they have brought on helmets and, and face masks and so on and so forth. But it's just odd that they wouldn't take the next step forward with the, with the neck guards. Uh, yeah, do you I have any, any theory why? Change. I don't think it's macho. Um, you know, we had shin guards and, you know, back in the day we didn't have ankle guards. And now they strap on ankle guards, you know, yeah. and I just, uh, I just think it's resistance to change. That's all. Yeah, I tell you, it, it, it is, it is a, uh, it's just so curious to me as uh, that they, that you know, and I'm trying to think if there's anything beyond with USA Hockey, if there's something that's holding them back from making this mandatory. Um, as I said, it's mandatory that you have to wear a neck guard if you're playing high school hockey, let's say, in Connecticut, the public level, public school level, or in, or in New York State, you have to wear them. But I, I, I don't understand why they wouldn't just say, okay, enough already. Now, maybe, maybe because of this tragedy, we will see USA Hockey finally say, okay, the time has come. We're going to basically um, change that rule and make the neck guards mandatory. We're, we, under, we, don't, we understand they can be cumbersome. We understand they can be difficult to wear and so on and so forth. But it's just, it's just really kind of weird uh, as they, uh, they wouldn't take the next step forward. Um, I'll tell you, Mark, I mean, would you, do you have any kids who play hockey? Uh, no. <laughs> we like to watch it, but uh, they never got into it. Uh... Uh, my one son was a varsity wrestler, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and if I could, I just wanted to shout out to my 86 year old father back in Kings Park who drove me. Okay. To the ice time at 12 midnight on a Wednesday night while the man was a working man. And uh, I gotta, I gotta put a shout out to every ice hockey parent out there who uh, did what my father did for me. Well, I, I, I'm glad you did that, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for checking in this morning because yeah, anybody who's, uh, uh, the parent uh, of an ice hockey player, uh, yeah, you know, you know exactly what Mark is talking about uh, in terms of getting your kids, you know, to to the rinks uh, sometimes early, early morning on cold days like today, or, or obviously uh, during the course of the afternoons after practice and or after school to go to practice or at night, and obviously the games on the road. It is a full commitment, not just from the youngster who obviously can't drive until, until they're 18, but obviously from the parent who has to basically go and reorganize their lives in order to accommodate their kid's dream of having a chance to play ice hockey. That, that's, that's, that just goes with the territory. But uh, as I said, it, it, is, it is a huge, huge commitment. It's also a large uh, commitment of, 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 of finances as well. It's simple as that. Okay, I, I promised I want to get to a couple other topics before we run out of time this morning. Um, 
We've talked in recent weeks about young athletes these days and whether they show any signs of having grit, meaning uh, when things get tough in sports, do they just walk away and say, this is no longer fun. I'm just going to you know, hang them up and go else, do something else in my life. Let me give you exhibit A about grit with a, a Gen Z athlete. Now, Stedman Bennett the star quarterback of the Georgia University Bulldogs, the national champions in college football. I think he would, I think he's all about grit. I don't know if you know his background at all, but let me tell you about this kid who grew up uh, in Georgia, always dreamed about becoming a Bulldog, and that was his hope and dream. He was a star in high school, but he wasn't considered a top, top prospect. Yeah, he did get some scholarship offers to some smaller colleges, but he said, no, I'm just going to go and be a walk-on at the University of Georgia. And when it was clear to him that he wasn't going to rank very high in the depth chart as a freshman, well, Stephen Bennett, he decided that he was going to transfer to a junior college because he wanted to play. He still didn't lose his dream of, of playing some point at the University of Georgia, but mind you, he actually left the school and went to a different, a, a different program where he could play football. He went to the JUCO, and he did well. He then returned, came back to the University of Georgia. This time, they gave him a scholarship. But that being said, he was still way down on the quarterback depth chart. He only got a chance to be the starting quarterback, starting quarterback when the top quarterback was injured. And then this kid, he played, but then he didn't do very well. So he lost his starting position as a QB, and he only got it back this year when the top dog got hurt again. And it was at that point uh, in the season that Bennett finally began to click, and he led the dogs to the national championship, as you know, knocking off Alabama, Alabama led by their star quarterback, Bryce Young. Now, put this in perspective. Stebbin Bennett, he's 5'11", about 190 pounds. By all accounts, he was considered to be too slow, too short to be a uh, to win in big co big time college football. But in the end, he did win. He won the biggest game of the year, <laughs> and it's just been a a fairy tale ending to this kid's college career. I mean, you can only imagine what kind of grit he has in his soul. I mean, when he was going through his years on the bench in his early years at Georgia, not knowing what was going to happen. How many sleepless nights did he go through? How many distraught calls to his parents did he make? What was he thinking when he decided that, okay, I'm just going to transfer out and go to a JUCO and see if I can play there, and maybe if I'm good enough, I can come back to Georgia? How nervous he must have been when he was around the coaching staff at Georgia. And then having the guts to come back after that year off, even though he knew that the coaching staff still didn't see him as being a starter. Their, their eyes were focused on the other quarterbacks. But yet, at the end of the day, you can bet your bottom dollar that the, the coaches at, at Georgia are very, very grateful and thankful this kid, Stebbin Bennett, stuck it out and, and really was the personification of grit and led the team to the national championship. And to me, this kid, Stebbin Bennett, a huge, huge sense of congratulations. He, he really... He is all about grit. Okay, moving on. 
Uh, a quick and I think somewhat curious development uh, regarding the transgender swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania, Leah Thomas. She was defeated the other day in the 100-meter freestyle by a swimmer from Yale. Now, this is sort of noteworthy. Uh, Thomas had managed to win two events last week against Yale and Dartmouth in the swim, swim meets, but she came in sixth in the 100-yard freestyle after competing head-to-head -head against Isaac Hennig, who was a junior at Yale. This is where it gets kind of curious. Isaac Hennig is eligible to compete on the women's team at Yale as a trans man because he's chosen not to receive gender-affirming hormones, also known as hormone replacement therapy, such as testosterone. In other words, she is still in the process of transitioning to being a male, but has not taken any testosterone in the process. And that's significant, because according to the NCAA and the Ivy League, Hennig is still technically a female, and thus is clear to swim and compete as a woman. And sure enough, she, as a female swimmer, defeated Leah Thomas uh, in this 100-yard freestyle. Uh, guidance for transgender athletes, which were issued in 2011 by the NCAA, states, quote, any transgender student-athlete who is not taking hormone treatment related to gender transition may participate in sex-separated sports activities in accordance with his or her assigned birth gender. So, yes, what does this all mean? Because I know it's complicated, but in short, Leah Thomas, the highly regarded transgender female swimmer from Penn, lost to Isaac Hennig, a female swimmer from Yale. <laughs> I, I, it's, 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 it's sort of a head-scratcher, and again, it, it's, um, I, what is it all going to mean down the road? I don't know. This is so, so unprecedented and so complex uh, it's hard to get a sense what's going to happen. Uh, and again, we also have a sense, as I do, that as transgender athletes become more numerous uh, in, in high school and college and beyond, I have a feeling that the, uh, the debate uh, as to how these athletes are allowed to compete and, and whatever is just going to continue on and on. As I said, this I thought was a real stunner that Thomas, who has been so dominant as a, as a transgender female swimmer in the Ivy League, lost to a woman who, quite frankly, is in the process of transitioning. Again, she hasn't taken any drugs yet, but apparently she is going through the process. And I, I, I must confess that I know this is an area which is new and it's complicated, but I did think that was significant. Um, it, <laughs> it's just very strange. And, and finally, <clears throat> when it comes to this, this topic, again, of, uh, of protection uh, and, and thinking about kids and, and, and overall. And again, we talked this morning about neck guards and ice hockey. I get that. I understand that, that uh, a lot, it, it's, it's right now the law is that it's uh, USA hockey. It is optional. It's recommended, but it's not mandatory. I think the point we want to be thinking about here is as sports parents, you want to make sure that the first thing your kid is involved in when it comes to playing sports today is that they have the right protective equipment and that you as a sports parent you may find yourself in a role in a situation where you have to basically give you know give a, a hard and fast uh, edict to your son or daughter and say look I want you to do this if you want to play this sport whether it's ice hockey baseball softball uh, basketball whatever sport it may be it makes no difference you may say I know this is the bare minimum that's required of you 
in terms of equipment. But as your mom or as your dad, I think it's smart that you want to protect yourself because someday, long after you finish playing the sports, you want to make sure that your health has been maintained and protected along the way. And again, I understand this has all been generated a lot with the, the, the tragic lossing of, of Teddy Balkin uh, from last week. Again, we don't know whether or not the neck guard would have saved his life. I don't even know if he was wearing one or not. But the fact is, parents, this is the kind of incident that makes you sort of stop short and think, am I doing all the right things I need to do to protect my youngster as they go out and, and play sports? It's as simple as that. Okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of The Sports Says. My thanks, as always, to Ed Arzuman, the Zoo Man. Please stick around for NFL Preview. That is up next, and I'll see you next Sunday right here on The Sports Edge. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.